San Diego First Church, so good to be with you again today. We are looking at our Connecting Points podcast. This is what this is. It's Pastor D and I, Matt Wilson, one of the pastors on staff, talking about the Sunday sermon that took place and its connection to one of the lectionary passages uh, that we are looking at, not just about uh, as a part of the lectionary passages in general that the uh, the church has come together and organized, but as a part of our Living Lectionary devotional series. Pastor D, so good to be with you again today. Thanks. Great to be here, Matt. Uh, we are looking at First uh, Samuel chapter 16, uh, looking at verse 1 to 13. Uh, so I'm going to read that for us, and then we'll jump into, uh, into a discussion. This is First Samuel 16, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for, <coughs> excuse me, for I have provided for him, for myself, a king amongst his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, uh, he looked at Elib and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see, and they look on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said, Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from whom the Lord, from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. And now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit of the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to, said to him, see now an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command the servants who had who attend you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. And that when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will feel better. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Uh, so initially, at first glance, it doesn't feel like there might be some con- uh, some connecting points between here and uh, the story of the blind man who was healed. Um, but I'm curious, D, like what what initially strikes you uh, from this passage in Samuel to the the conversation that we had around healing and who needs to be healed and the uh, the effect that Christ has on us as those who are dependent upon him. Hmm. Uh, I, I guess right off the bat, the healing portion of that passage um, certainly has some connecting points, but there's really something else that is the strong, strong connecting point for me. Um, and it maybe in the New Testament story that we did on Sunday, um, at some level could be a, a sub point or a minor point. And here it doesn't feel like the point, but maybe a secondary point. And what I mean by that is that I think this is a crucial storyline for the Hebrew people mm-hmm. because this marks God's anointing of their beloved David, King David, the mm-hmm. one that is referenced throughout all of the writings and what he brought about in terms of transformation of the nation and leadership and is hailed as this king of um, all of their rulers, the one that just stands above and beyond all of the others. And so it becomes essential to include in the narrative of the Old Testament his selection Mm -hmm. and God's hand upon him and being anointed um, to do the kinds of things that came about. So that really seems like the primary point of this story. Mm -hmm. For me, the powerful secondary point is a theme that races throughout Scripture And it is a powerful acknowledgement that God doesn't look at things the same way that most of us look at things. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And and that there is at work something that is uh, not always obvious to the eye, the ear, Mm -hmm. the the regular senses, that, that God is constantly working to bring about God's purposes from the time creation begins until the culmination of all things, this God at work. The way that connects to the John passage is that it's to someone who is the other, the one who has an impairment, um, Uh, at least viewed by others that way, when in fact they had probably the best eyesight of all. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And it's to that individual, like the woman at the well, that Jesus chooses to fully reveal himself, Mm -hmm. I am the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And this theme in John of a proclamation that is going to all of those who are I don't know how else to say it other than in so many ways, the outsiders of the culture. And here we have the seeds of that or the proclamation of that in 1 Samuel. Mm-hmm. God doesn't always look the way that you look at things. Yeah. Because Samuel was certain the first son that came through. I mean, this oh, guy. Oh, this is going to be the guy. This is the guy. Look at him. Yeah. He's tall. He's He's, he's got rugged, a, yeah, handsome. Everything is going for him. Yeah. And God says, yeah, no. you're missing what I'm doing and I have purposes you don't fully understand and and for me um, 
The powerful thing that jumped off the page on Sunday morning for me was, and it's because of that that you have to trust. Yeah. When you think you know it, you never are in a posture of trust because you've got all the knowledge you think you need. But if you step into that yeah. place of not knowing, which Samuel is required to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Samuel, you don't know. You're my prophet, but you don't know. Now listen to me and follow my lead. Yeah. And uh, Matt, I confess, I don't dance. I'm not a dancer. <laughs> but when I imagine myself as a dance partner, I just, I feel like I'm the one who tries to force lead all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the one who's trying to make the steps work. And over and over again, the spiritual dance is God saying, will you just let me lead you and trust? And so that's that's the biggest connecting point I see here. Any thoughts for you? Oh my gosh, there there are many, and I think that one of the things that uh, pops off the page for me is if you if you come back to the reason why Saul needs to get replaced in the beginning. Ooh, ooh, tell which me is, more. <laughs> so which is uh, two reasons he 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 screws up in two ways, and and essentially it's. He starts sacrificing and ordaining his military campaign uh, without Samuel. He acts. He although he's the king, he takes up the the mantle of priest or prophet, and when he should not have, he oversteps his boundaries. And uh, in in today's culture and in today's kind of hyper um, conversational or cultural things, it feels as if like we are tend to in those places of authority and power to overstep on God. Mm. And and when I read the 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 passage in uh, that was read on John 9, the passage that we preach from on Sunday, I my eye goes to the Pharisees and and it sure. may be just because of my own, like <laughs> I more closely identify with the Pharisees, not because I want to, but because of my place in life and being educated in, uh, in ministry and theology and, and biblical studies. And like, I think I have some pretty right answers. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, and that can get to my own head yeah. around how I understand my own authority. And to not be humble enough to say, maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. Mm. And I think so often people in authority and leadership transgress those boundaries without humility. Mm. And it is... And that is something that I certainly am tempted by to to say, like, well, here's my books of knowledge and the way that I see the world. And God can't work outside of these ways. And yet God is constantly and, and for you to point out the woman at the well in, in John four, I thought the same thing of like, here is another instance of God's spirit is moving with the person who is unexpected and the the person that breaks the mold and man we we want to keep god in a box and not 
not pay attention to the wild movement of the spirit. Oh, I love that phrase, the wild movement. How often um, I want to celebrate the spirit with one statement and contain the spirit with another. Like, yes. Like hold it in a box. Like yes. I figured it out. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, rob myself of the privilege of being in the wild nature of the spirit. Yes. It, it, it's Augustine who says, if you fully understand it and you get it, it's not God. <laughs> it's not God. It's something. It's something. It's just not God. And, and, and if you tend to worship that thing, it's an idol. <laughs> right, 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 right. Which it feels as... There are times we tend to do that. Yeah. And this is a call to us to to lean into that unexpected, surprising mystery of of God and the way that the spirit works. Yeah. I'd love just as you were talking, it's an experience of mine, but I just want to share what came to mind as you were talking about the um, the legitimate pursuit of knowledge and understanding, Mm. just not idolizing it. Yeah. Um, But the many times I've walked into a library and I know exactly what I'm looking for. And I either go to a card catalog or I know the section and I start perusing for what mm. it is that I'm trying to pull off the shelf. As opposed to other times where I, and these are far better moments for me, I walk into a library and I am not looking for anything, mm. but I gaze at everything that's in the library and have to admit that the breadth and depth of my knowledge is so small. Mm, mm-hmm. There are so many topics, so many ideas, so many thoughts floating in this building through these books. Yeah. A reminder of, wow, what a joy to learn something new. And what a reminder yeah. that the expanse of God's creation is so vast mm. that I have just scratched the surface of mm-hmm. the wild, wonderful, creative side of yeah. God. And especially for our context being next to uh, an institution of higher education, sure. Sure. that yes, knowledge is important, that learning about the world we inhabit and each other from economic and political and biological lenses is really important. And yet, we are we are not the god of those things. Mm. We study them, and they the god who creates invites us further into those, into those places. And thanks be to God for that, because yes. that would be horrible. Yeah, I think we were in that spot <laughs> for real, multiple levels. Yes, great to be with you, Matt. Good to be with you as well, Dee. Thanks. <laughs>